to our service. Uh, I'm sure that most of you have heard uh, the announcement last night about uh, second lockdown. So sadly, this does mean that uh, churches must close by law uh, for four weeks. So therefore, we're not going to meet physically uh, for the next four Sundays, but we will be live streaming the morning service at 10.45. So there's not going to be two morning live streams. Uh, you can all fit perfectly in your living room at whatever distance you like. Uh, so it's just one service at 10.45, so make a note of that. Uh, but differently from last time, uh, we're also going to live stream the evening service at 6 p.m. as well. Uh, we feel it's important to uh, keep up the habit of, of having that time in our diaries. So we encourage you uh, to tune in to both of those services on Sundays uh, and, and, and also to do so when they are streamed, so that we all are all participating uh, somewhat together at the same time. Uh, now, this is not what we want, uh, and we are really disappointed, uh, but we want to continue to trust God through these times, and also to continue to thank Him for the technology that we do have that enables us to meet in some form uh, online. Uh, we fully intend to reopen on Sunday the 6th of December with two morning services and the evening service just like we're having at the moment. So there'll be uh, hopefully a, a short break for four weeks, then the plan is to carry on as we are now uh, on the 6th of December. So put the, the 6th of December in your diaries, um, that we pray will be the date we, we meet next. Uh, that means that tonight will be the, the, the final opportunity for us to meet physically uh, for four weeks. So I, I do encourage you to come to the evening service. Uh, we're having um, Tom Martin preach. Uh, he's a, a pastor from Smethwick who is uh, undertaking a replant of a church there. We've seen him on video a couple of times over the last few months. Uh, and we've prayed for the work that is going on there. Uh, so please come and support uh, that, and take the, the opportunity to meet together uh, physically for the, for the last time in a month. Uh, so I realize uh, this announcement is not uh, what we want, it is sad, 
Uh, and we want to make, though, the most of the opportunity that today brings. Uh, and we want to focus our attention, our eyes, upon our God. Uh, and so let's begin doing that by praying. So let's bow our heads. Let's focus on our Father in heaven. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we have heavy hearts that we will not be able uh, to meet again for another month after this week. We have been so blessed in meeting together since July and we really long to continue with that. But we trust that you are the God who is king over the whole universe and has all things under your sovereign control. We thank you that you are the unchanging, all-knowing God, and nothing takes you by surprise. As your people, we ask that you would work in such a way that we can indeed meet again in December, and as we come to meet again in December, that you would give us confidence to do that. We pray that the online services, both morning and evening, would be a blessing to us, that they would cause us to turn our eyes towards Jesus. We pray as well that people would see our services online who have not come to church before, and that they also would come to see us face to face in December. We pray that during this time you would keep us united in the gospel, help us to love one another practically in these days. We pray especially for those who feel lonely that you would provide them with fellowship from your people, that they would be encouraged. We also pray for other churches in our nation and across our world who are facing the same kind of restrictions. Uh, we pray that from those churches and ours, the light of the gospel would continue to shine through. We also think this morning of our brothers and sisters in our world who are persecuted for their faith. What we are going through doesn't compare uh, very much to them, but this may help us understand their situation a little bit more. And so we pray that you would strengthen your persecuted people. Help them to fix their eyes on Jesus and help us to remember them. We also thank you that they and us are one people, one church with the same Savior and the same hope. We trust in Jesus who has died and risen again. And we look forward to a new world together where there is no persecution and there is no sickness and there is one perfect leader in Jesus Christ. In these days, we look forward to that day and we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.
going to have a Bible reading now from Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, Isaiah 42 verses 1 to 9. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn there. This passage uh, talks about the Lord's servant and what this servant will do. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Well, the ultimate um, fulfillment of this servant of the Lord is Jesus Christ. And in today's uh, passage that we're going to look at uh, a bit later, one of the things that Uh, This servant does, and we see Jesus doing, is opening the eyes of the blind. And opening the eyes of of the blind was always, although a, a physical miracle, always pointed to a greater spiritual need to open the eyes of our hearts. And our next song uh, speaks of this.
we ask God to, to do that for us now as we turn in his word to uh, Matthew chapter 20 and the Sunday school also uh, will now uh, go to their classes and we pray that you too would have the eyes of your hearts opened uh, in Sunday school. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 20 this morning we're going to look just at verses 29 uh, down to verse 34. <clears throat> Now, some of our young people had a really great day out yesterday at Gaines Manor uh, down in Worcestershire. Uh, And uh, on the journey home, uh, someone asked me a question. Steve, did you have a phone when you were 13? I responded, well, no one really had a phone when I was 13, except uh, in the house. No one had a mobile phone. And when I was 13... Uh, smartphones weren't even invented. Well, what did you do? I was asked. Well, I talked about how I went out and played with my friends uh, and talked about different things that I would do uh, as a teenager. But in the evening, uh, I got thinking about, about this and something else came to my mind that I used to do as a teenager uh, that um, uh, I hadn't mentioned When I was 13, it was uh, the 1990s, and there was something that was all the rage. It was this, Magic Eye. I don't know if any of you remember Magic Eye. I loved Magic Eye. Uh, Magic Eye was a book of optical illusions, or 3D images, that you had to try and see by kind of blurring your eyes, and then the image would pop out. Now, some of my friends uh, could never see the image. They would look at it for ages, and just didn't get it. Like, what is going on? It's just one big blur. So I felt as a teenager that I had some kind of special sight that enabled me to see these amazing uh, 3D images that some of my friends couldn't see. That's what I used to spend my time doing when I was 13. And this is exactly the kind of thing that goes on in our passage in Matthew's Gospel here. Uh, Matthew has been written so that we can see something, so that we can see that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, who has come to save his people from their sins. And the question we're asking today from this passage is, do you see it? Do you see who Jesus is and what he has done for you? Uh, The Magic Eye book, uh, it's a bit small to see up there. Um, ironically, which is about sight, but it's, uh, the subtitle is A New Way of Looking at the World. And that's exactly what the gospel is for those who have eyes to see, eyes that Jesus has opened. It opens up the world in a different way as we see who Jesus is. And I want you to see that in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, and as we read verses 29 to 34, uh, we want to find out, can you see? So let's read those words together. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. This is God's word to us. Now, in the, in the Bible, uh, blindness is often, and in fact usually used, as an illustration or a sign of a spiritual state. This is especially so in the Old Testament when the prophets speak about Israel, God's people. So here's some examples uh, in the Old Testament. So Isaiah, in, uh, a bit later in chapter 42 from what we read, says... 
Hear, you deaf, look, you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant, that's Israel, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord? Then the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 5 and verse 21 says, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. And then Ezekiel chapter 12, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see but do not see and ears to hear but do not hear for they are a rebellious people. So if blindness is sometimes used as a sign of a spiritual state of darkness, then the opening of the eyes of the blind is used as a spiritual sign of enlightenment. And in the Old Testament, the Messiah is one who we are told would come and open people's eyes, open the eyes of the blind. So again, what we read earlier in Isaiah 42 speaks of this coming servant. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the open eyes that are blind to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So you've got their light, darkness, uh, eyes being opened, all to do with being able to see clearly. And in fact, in the Old Testament of the Bible, there was never a miracle of opening the eyes of the blind, unless you include the incident incident in 2 Kings chapter 6, when the Aramean army were blinded by the prophet Elisha, Uh, and then had their eyes opened again a bit later. But apart from that, uh, the blind did not have their eyes opened. This was something that was expected to happen when the Messiah came. So in Matthew's Gospel, if you turn back to Matthew chapter 11, you can see there an example of this. So John the Baptist has been arrested, uh, and in verses 2 and 3, Uh, He's questioning about Jesus. Uh, So when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So he's questioning, are you really the Messiah? Listen to what Jesus replied. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So one of the signs that this is the Messiah was the eyes of the blind being opened. It it didn't happen in the Old Testament, but Jesus comes and the blind start to see. Uh, Another example in Matthew chapter 12 uh, and verses 22 and 23, notice the response to this miracle. Uh, They bought Uh, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Verse 23, all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? So they saw this eye healing of this blind man, and they asked, is this the son of David? And the son of David... Uh, is, a, is a code name, if you like, for Messiah. Okay, and all, uh, the, the Jewish Messiah was called the Son of David. Now, when Jesus does miracles in the Bible, uh, they are always for a purpose. And in fact, the ones that we have recorded are even recorded for a purpose. In, in John's Gospel, he writes that Jesus did so many miracles that there wasn't enough paper to record them on. And so the the writers of the Gospels chose the miracles they were going to record to to show who Jesus was. And so we have to ask, why does Matthew record this miracle here in this Gospel? Well, Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem. Uh, We we read uh, earlier on in Matthew chapter 20, in order to die. He's going to die. And if someone is going to die on a cross, they don't look like a messiah. And what Matthew wants us to see is look at Jesus. He's opening the eyes of the blind. This is the Messiah. I want you to see this. Have your eyes open to it. 
So that when you see Jesus on a cross, you're not thinking, this man is just a failed Messiah. This is the Messiah. And so Matthew, first of all, wants us to be able to be seeing Jesus' identity. This is the son of David. Open your eyes and see, this is the son of David. So in verse 29, Jesus and his disciples are leaving Jericho, which was on their route to Jerusalem, and the crowds are gathering for the Passover festival. Large crowds were in Jesus' entourage. Partly they are following him because of his popularity with doing miracles and teaching, but also there are just large crowds going to celebrate the Passover festival. And as Jesus is on his way, there are two blind men in verse 30 sitting by the roadside. Now they'll be sitting because they would have been begging. It was their only source of income. And these blind men uh, could not see, but they could hear. Because notice how they, uh, in verse 30, it says they heard that Jesus was passing by. Now, how did they hear? We're not told. Perhaps they heard from the crowd uh, who perhaps were talking about Jesus. Uh, maybe as you, as you read the passage earlier, uh, when I was reading it to us, you might have thought, this, this sounds quite familiar in Matthew's gospel. Um, that's because in Matthew chapter 9, a very similar miracle takes place where two men who were blind have their eyes opened, who also call Jesus the son of David. And you'd be right to remember that. That miracle was in Capernaum. This miracle is, in a, is uh, coming out of Jericho. But perhaps these blind men heard of what Jesus did in Capernaum in Matthew chapter 9. And so they thought, well, if this is Jesus coming, we've heard that he opens the eyes of the blind. But however they have heard that Jesus is coming, notice in verse 30 what they believe Jesus could do. They say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, that name, Son of David, is, is hardly ever used in the Bible. It is a name for the Messiah. The Messiah was the promised king that was born in the line of David the king. David was promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that he would have a king that would sit on his throne forever. And in Luke's gospel, we read uh, this in chapter 1, verses 32 to 33. Uh, he, will be, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That was uh, Luke chapter 1. So Jesus was this Messiah from the line of David. And in Matthew's gospel, as he writes to show us that Jesus is this promised king, the phrase son of David is used more than anywhere else. In the very first chapter of Matthew's gospel, there's the genealogy of Jesus. He is the son of Abraham, the son of David. And interestingly, in Matthew's gospel, the people who call Jesus son of David are always people you wouldn't expect to recognize him. So in Matthew chapter 9, two blind men recognize him as son of David. They couldn't see him, but they recognize him as son of David. And in chapter um, 12, a Canaanite woman or a foreign woman who was not Jewish recognizes him as the son of David. She calls him son of David. And then here, these blind men call him son of David. It's always unexpected. The religious leaders, steeped in their Old Testament scriptures, they, they should have known he's the son of David, but they, they didn't see. But the blind men who couldn't physically see, they see. They see Jesus' identity as the son of David. They get who he is. And because they saw who he is, even though they were blind... They showed their belief in who he is in the way that they sought for help. And that's our second point here. They saw their need. Have mercy on us, they said. Mercy is uh, compassion, compassionate action for those in need. And Jesus, uh, well, they saw they had a need and they saw Jesus and they, they saw his ability to help them. 
And when I say saw, yes, they were blind, weren't they? But they saw who he was and they saw the ability he had to help them in their need. They believed Jesus can help us. It's one thing, isn't it, to believe in the identity of Jesus, but they didn't leave it there. They believed he had the ability to help them in their need. In fact, their belief is also shown in, in the way that they cried out. This isn't, a, this, is, this isn't a quiet thing. They cried out, they shouted in desperation. They were desperate for help. They knew they needed help and they knew this man can help us. And in believing in Jesus' identity and his ability, these blind men showed great faith. Or they showed their spiritual sight. But the crowds, they didn't see things in the same way. Look at verse 31. It says, The crowds rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Now, because these men were blind beggars, people had no time for them. We're really busy. We're on our way to Jerusalem. The crowds could not see that Jesus has come to open the eyes of the blind. But the blind men could see. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he could help them. And so even when they're told to be quiet, they shouted even louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. So the blind saw Jesus' identity. The blind saw Jesus' ability. But they also saw that Jesus has compassion. Compassion that these crowds completely lacked. And the disciples were in on these crowds as well. And that's interesting because in Matthew chapter 16, the disciples uh, uh, said through Peter that they believed Jesus is the Messiah. They acknowledged who Jesus is. They acknowledged his identity. But they seemed to be blind to the kind of Messiah he is. And in verses 32 to 34, we see the kind of Messiah he is. They, we, we, we see Jesus' compassion. Mercy for us. These blind men knew Jesus had time for them, even though the crowds did not. Jesus didn't rebuke them. We read that he called them to himself. And what struck me as I, as I was reading that was that in just before this, in verses 17 to 19, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he tells them about this horrific death that he is about to endure in Jerusalem. So he's walking to Jerusalem and he is going there to die. That is weighing on his mind. And he sees these two blind beggars who to everyone else are insignificant. And with all of that knowledge of what he is going to Jerusalem to do, weighing on him, he turns to these blind men who no one has time for and he calls them to himself because he will have compassion on them. Now, of course, uh, there's a lesson for us there, isn't there, about having time for people, having compassion. We can be so busy with so many things Whatever is on your mind, it isn't what was going on in Jesus' mind when he was going to Jerusalem. And I think there's plenty of opportunities in our days and there to show compassion at the moment and help our neighbors. But perhaps some of you are wondering, well, does Jesus have time for me? Many of us feel insignificant, perhaps unwanted. And the answer is yes, of course he does. He has compassion for you. And in this passage, we need to see that, that he has compassion for us. He wants to help us in our needs as well. And we'll come on to that in a moment, but with these blind men, what, what was their need? Well, it's interesting, at verse 32, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, it seems like a, a kind of silly question, doesn't it? What do you want me to do for you? These men are blind. Isn't it obvious? Well, actually... It perhaps isn't obvious, especially to the crowds, what they might want because these men are blind. So 
they're asking for mercy all the time as beggars on the roadside. So when Jesus says, what do you want? They might say, uh, we need money, or we need food, or we need a blanket, or we need any number of things. We need you to guide us to Jerusalem so we can go to the Passover. Uh, There's any number of things that they could want, and there's any number of things that they would normally be asking for. Because let's be sure about this, they wouldn't normally ask the average person walking up the road to give them their sight back. And so Jesus' question draws out their faith, draws out, do you really believe that I'm the Messiah? And their answer in verse 33 shows that yes, they do, because they say, Lord, we want our sight. We want our sight. They believed Jesus could do what only God can do, open the eyes of the blind. Their physical sight may not be there, but their spiritual sight is clear as day. They know who Jesus is, and they believe he can give them their sight. In verse 34, we see that Jesus had compassion on them. Uh, It's lovely um, how, and I think we can relate to this perhaps a bit more in our current situation, when we can't touch each other, uh, how he touches them. He doesn't need to touch them does he? He can just say, eyes be opened, and they would be opened. But his compassion is shown, he touches these blind men. Doesn't need to distance from them. (laughs) He touches them, and they receive their sight immediately. You see the compassion of Jesus. So these blind men, they see Jesus' identity. He is the son of David, They see his ability to help in their need, have mercy, and they saw Jesus' compassion for them, have mercy on us. And I want to bring this home today by asking the question, can you see? Notice at the end of verse 34, the physical sight is restored and the two men follow Jesus. Now, I've said earlier on that the the restoration of physical sight, whilst being a real miracle, has a deeper meaning. Their physical sight is brought in line with their spiritual sight when their sight is restored. And even in the Gospels, when we read, followed him, it means more than just um, looking at Jesus and making sure you get to Jerusalem okay. It's it's following him with our lives as our king and our savior. And so the question for us is, do you see Jesus like these blind men saw Jesus even before they had their physical sight restored? First of all, I would ask, do you see your need? Do you see your need? These men knew they needed help. The Bible tells us that we need help. The biggest problem we have is the sin which separates us from God. Our our biggest need is forgiveness and relationship with God. And without this, we're facing God's judgment in, in hell. And so many are blind to this great need. But blindness to it doesn't make it any less real. Sin is like a a cancerous tumor that we might not even be able to see, but it is killing us. Now, reading the Bible is like having a a whole body scan that shows us the reality of what is there. And when we see it, we know we need help. And that can only come from Jesus. If you had a a tumor, you'd go to a doctor and you'd want that to know that that doctor is a real doctor. And if we're going to have our sin dealt with and have relationship with God restored, we we need a savior and we need to be sure that Jesus is the real saviour. And so my next question is, can you see Jesus' identity? Can you see your need? Can you see Jesus' identity? He is the son of David, which means he is the Messiah. At the beginning of Matthew's Gospel in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, we read these words, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus Because, and this is what Jesus' name means, he will save his people from their sins. 
Jesus is the Savior who has come to save us from a deeper problem than physical blindness, a deeper problem than any physical sickness, the problem of sin, to save us from our sins. He is the one who was promised in the Old Testament that would bring us back to God. Now, if you did go to the doctors, um, you, you want to know that that doctor is a real doctor. Now, I've never been to the doctors and asked them, please show me your certificates. <laughs> I'm, I'm always assuming that they are a real doctor. Um, but I'm sure if I did ask, they would be able to prove that they are a doctor. But if you were to ask a Christian, uh, how do you know that Jesus is the real deal? How do you know that he is the one who can save us from sin and death? We can say that in history, Jesus came to earth and we have seen him heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead and walk on water and feed thousands with a few loaves and a couple of fish. We've seen him declare that people's sins are forgiven and we've seen him die and on the third day come back to life. And so a Christian would say, if you want to trust someone to deal with sin and death, you trust someone who has died for sin and come back to life. That's Jesus Christ. That's why we trust him. He has all the qualifications that prove he is the Messiah. Can you see? As well as seeing his identity, can you see his ability? That he is able to save us. And we've seen that through his death and resurrection. We're going to see it again as we come around the Lord's table shortly, that he has died for our sins. He is able to save you. And finally, can you see his compassion for you? He died on the cross to save us from our sins because he loves us. For God so loved the world. And so he has compassion. If you would open your eyes and see he is the only one who can help you in your greatest need, he has compassion for you. And like the blind men, uh, we, we may feel insignificant. That's a great place to be as we come to God. Because God loves insignificant people and to save them and raise them up to a significance called a child of God. And at the end of verse 34, these two blind men, they follow Jesus. And when our eyes are opened to who he is, we also begin to follow him. Our eyes are opened and we look at Jesus and we keep going following him. The problem a lot of us have as Christians is that we then, we, we, we believe and then we, we go around sometimes with our eyes closed. And when your eyes are closed and you're walking around, you start bumping into things and getting into all sorts of trouble. As Christians, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Looking at him through his word, looking at what he expects of us, and following that. And as our eyes are opened to Jesus, we also begin to look like Jesus in mirroring his compassion on others. And so I would encourage you, especially over the next weeks when we, we can't meet together, keep your eyes open, fixed on Christ, but also looking out for needs within our fellowship, within your communities where you live, your neighbors. Uh, and like Jesus, have compassion. Take the time to show love to those who are in need, that you, in your love to them, show them Christ. Wonderfully, uh, we're able to, um, this morning, as a body, come around the Lord's table, which is great because I think it's a really appropriate way to, to, to finish this morning uh, before we uh, go um, for a few weeks apart to come again around the Lord's table as a body and open our eyes and look at the bread and the cup, physical things we can see, that remind us of the compassion of Christ that we've been talking about, that he's had on us. And that meal, by the way, that we're going to participate in, it's not an individual meal 
where we just remember what God has done for me, it's a meal where we remember what God has done for all of us. And we look around and we thank God for his compassion on so many different people. And we share in it together and together say, we believe. We've had our eyes opened. We see Jesus. We see what he's done. We're going to follow him. So before we come to that, Nathan's going to help us respond and prepare for the Lord's Supper. good and appropriate that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning, especially as we're not able to uh, gather like this for another month. But the Lord's Supper is a, a simple meal of bread and wine that we take together as a body of believers to remember what Jesus has done to save us and to proclaim 
to one another and to our world that we believe that Jesus is the saviour from sin. It saves us, but also this meal is also what unites us, isn't it? We're united together around uh, what Christ has done for us. This meal is for those who we have been reading about today, who have had their eyes opened to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, and we're following him. So if that's you, uh, then you are welcome to join with us in this. But before we partake, let's just spend a minute in quiet to reflect on what we've heard this morning, uh, and then uh, I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we we give you thanks that we are able uh, to participate in this meal together this morning. We thank you that Jesus has died for our sins and that we can be saved from your wrath and given eternal life. We thank you that this is what unites us and we proclaim together that we believe in the forgiveness of sins based on what this bread and this cup represent. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we take the bread and the cup, uh, I think it would be good and appropriate that we stand together and we say the Apostles' Creed uh, as a congregation. Uh, The Apostles' Creed was written a couple of centuries after Christ uh, went up to heaven, and it summarizes those beliefs which unite us together as Christians. Uh, So let's stand together and say to God and to one another what we believe and what this table represents. So let's stand and say these words. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy worldwide church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please uh, take your seats. Well, the bread uh, that is going to be given to us represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, body that was given for us. Jesus said to us to eat this in remembrance of him. And so the bread is going to be placed into your hands and then let's eat it together as a body in union uh, to partake of uh, this meal. So please uh, hand the bread out. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the
Jesus said, eat this in remembrance of me. Well, the cup represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And again, uh, please hold on to your cups and then we'll drink of it together uh, as one body. See from his head, his hands, his feet, so Jesus said, drink this in remembrance of me. We've seen uh, Jesus' compassion to the blind. We've seen at the table how that compassion was shown to us. And as we close, uh, we're going to remember again that great love that is given to us as his people. Here is love, blessed as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us. Incense from above. 
some words to go home to. Let us run with perseverance the race set out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. as the ocean loving kindness as the flood when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood who is love will not remember who can cease to sing his Forgotten, 